God damn, the 90s were great, weren't they? We just got the internet. Instead of billionaires launching interplanetary pissing contests, NASA was still sending people to space. Jeff Goldblum hadn't quite become a parody of himself. What a time to be alive. It's weird to look back on a time pre-9-11 when a film could exist that has, as its main plot point and focus for all of its marketing, an invasion force blowing up the most iconic buildings in America and not having a political axe to grind. But that's exactly the film we're looking back at today. There are a lot of things that happen in this movie that wouldn't happen in real life, and the extermination of all life on the planet by a hostile alien armada isn't the most improbable. What is, you ask? How about teaching a drunk crop duster with PTSD to fly an F-18 in the span of a single night? How about a nation's military, no matter what dire straits they're in, allowing the president to fly in a combat mission against a superior force with, and I can't stress this enough, no one else living in the line of succession to keep any continuity of governance in the aftermath of the battle? How about a perfectly capable black man being rejected from the space program and immediately assuming it's because the government doesn't like his girlfriend and not at all because he's black? See, we didn't think race was a problem anymore in the 90s, so some weird dynamics pop up in this movie. Like the only black woman on screen being an exotic dancer. She could have been an accountant with a flaky cokehead for a co-worker, and the plot wouldn't have had to change at all. Why didn't they do that? Fuck if I know but they would have caught hell for a choice like that if they made it today. For all of its tonal weirdness, for all of its improbable plot points, for all of the cheeky, meta-comedic references to better science fiction movies that came before it, this movie still kind of fucks. The blending of practical effects with CGI holds up better than it has any justifiable reason to. The performances are entertaining, engaging, and by and large believable in their given circumstances. And that stupid fucking rah-rah America speech from Bill Pullman still manages to give me chills every time I watch it. War is war. Films film films about it. And we talky-talky-talk. So kick the tires and light the fires with us as we discuss the feel-goodiest, flag-wavingest, power-to-the-common-maniest alien invasion movie Frank Capra never directed. Roland Emmerich's 1996 self-assuredly derivative Will Smith star maker, Independence Day. Who are you? We are the knights who say... Rashid has seen it. This is Danger Close. Enough. Welcome, patrons, to Danger Close Enough. This is our war film sorta series that we're doing just for you patrons. You're welcome. Today, we are going to cover a pretty epic film from 1996, a little number called Independence Day. And while I hate to start our episode with a bummer, I am really personally bummed that we've been way too busy and been doing too much to get this out by Independence Day 2021. But if you're listening next year in the future in 2022, and this is 4th of July, and you're listening to Independence Day, well, happy 4th of July to you. That's really awesome. Everybody in 2021, eh, this year was kind of a wash. We're just hoping for better times ahead. My name is Dan, and I'm here with my awesome partners. Katie. And Liam. 
And we are going to start this off with what we're still calling our mission briefing for now, but we may get more creative and call it something friskier later. But Katie, take it away. So Roland Emmerich is a director whose name most audiences aren't necessarily aware of, but they've probably seen at least one of his movies. From Stargate to the terrible 1996 Godzilla to today's film, Emmerich was a blockbuster trendsetter and has continued to work regularly since his breakout directorial effort, Universal Soldier. Yes, that Universal Soldier with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Wow. With every film he made, the budget continued to increase, and Independence Day was made for about $75 million, which in 1996 money is pretty hefty. It also happens to be Will Smith's first role after his stint on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And while the film's quality is debatable, Smith's performance is fantastic. For the zero amount of people who are listening to this who haven't seen the film or know the premise, Independence Day is about an alien invasion of Earth over Fourth of July. A courageous president, a smart scientist, a brave fighter pilot, and a loony crop duster somehow band together and bring down the giant invasion. The film was a smash success and ended up making over $800 million, which is still a great number even for today's blockbusters. It managed to snag a win at the Academy Awards for visual effects and a nomination for Best Sound. The reception of the film by audiences was enthusiastic enjoyment, while critics were mostly nonplussed. <laughs> Reviews were somehow both positive and negative. Everyone acknowledged how fun and over-the-top it was, while not hesitating to point out the predictable script and cheesy dialogue. It really depended on how much critics were willing to overlook the film's hand-waving of reason, science, and logic. Those who could let it go enjoyed it far more than the ones who picked apart every plot hole. However, everyone agreed that Will Smith was perfectly cast and correctly predicted a long film career for him. This is thought to be a movie that impacted how Hollywood made blockbusters. Emmerich really committed to the CGI disaster effects in Independence Day, in the next 10 years, we'd see several other movies that followed in this one's footsteps. I saw this film in theaters as a kid and unironically enjoyed every minute. Today, though, I look at this as something I like to call big, stupid fun. And I appreciate its silliness and commitment to how dumb it is. So when did you guys see this movie and how has your perception of it changed over time? I always suck at answering this question and I don't. I must have seen this in theaters because this would have been, let's see, what are we talking? 1996? 96, yep. So I was in eighth grade in 96, and there was an old United Artists Theater near my house that did like, that. they're one of those places that did the two or three dollar like old movies. Oh, yes. I love those. And, and not good old, just like not popular anymore old from like two or three years ago and we would go in you know my friends and i would go in and pay three bucks and then stay in there for like nine hours and watch as many <laughs> old movies as we could so and this is back in the day where i couldn't appreciate spending lots of money on like a you know some big fancy theater a regular theater was just fine thank you very much so i'm sure i saw it there but I think more than my experience watching the film for the first time, I remember the big to-do about it. The advertising campaigns. Oh, yeah. This yep. kind of War of the Worlds sort of feel. And I feel like this is, to alien invasions, what Jurassic Park was to dinosaurs in a way. In the sense that it had this feeling of never really been done quite like this on this scale before. I mean, we've seen 
and and our grandparents even like everyone's seen alien invasion films since probably i would imagine the inception as of film i don't know i don't know what takes the crown as the very first one but i imagine it's from the 30s or something but certainly we know that 40s through the 60s or i mean you can talk the earth to the moon yeah exactly exactly which was kind of a reverse alien invasion like they go to the moon and then they get chased off by the moon people yep yep and that was 1890 I think. Oh, that's right. That's not even in the 20th century. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it was, you know, loosely based on, on the book. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's where, that's where a lot of our modern ideas of science fiction come from or the, the Jules Verne. Right. And it's got, you know, it's in some of it's in space. Some of it shows the moon. It's got, of course, that famous moon face with the rocket in the eye and like mm-hmm. all those effects were really cool looking for the time. Apologies, everybody. It's called a trip to the moon. Oh, oh. sorry. My bad. Georges Melier. And, and it was 1902 is when it came out. Oh, thank you, Katie. We'll just have to delete all the other parts where <laughs> you were full of shit. No, this, <laughs> this is a Patreon. It's fine. I'm right, okay. right. We'll just keep it going. Our patrons get to know how full of shit we really are. Millier had been working since the 1890s, so and that was a big thing for him. He'd been anyway. We won't get into it. Right. Yeah. So I mostly remember the stuff outside of the theater and all all of the buzz about it. And I remember, I do remember my first scenes of seeing the ships come in and the sort of fire in the sky effect, and just my jaw dropping and be like whoa, movies are getting crazy, like it looks so real, etc. And uh, I have to say, most of the effects in this film have aged pretty damn well, considering how much CGI and how much creation from nothing there is in it, as well as tons of practical effects, which we'll talk about, and that's probably key to why it looks so good. But there's still plenty of blue screen, etc. Liam, what about you? I was balls deep into this movie back in 1996. And <laughs> yes. I remain so to this day. That doesn't sound legal. Oh, excellent. No, it doesn't sound legal. So it's believable when it's Liam. Ooh, yeah. I saw this July 3rd. Oh, awesome. You saw one of the early shows then. I did. I did. It was the first time I'd been in a movie theater where the audience cheered during the movie. No. <laughs> that's awesome what a great experience i remember the seats i was in i was with my buddy booya from eighth grade who well let's see 1996 that was the i think i just graduated eighth grade a freshly minted high schooler yes so it was right before high school and we went to see this movie on like the second day i think that it that it was out we couldn't get tickets we couldn't get tickets for opening day we missed the tickets well, and we saw it on the third because I think it opened in the order that like they arrive on July 2nd, they mm-hmm. attack on July 3rd and on July 4th. That's the day we fight back was the promotion. But only some cities got that early July 2nd and thing. 3rd. Yeah. So Pittsburgh, thank you very much, Daniel, Daniele, <laughs> Dan. We we did get it on schedule July 2nd. I'm sorry, what? You said Pittsburgh and my brain just went blank. I like stopped listening. I know. It's just <laughs> awe-inspiring, the awesomeness of my city. I'll come visit. I'm sure Pittsburgh is awesome. Dude, I'm going to so force makes it feed awesome. you a Permani Brothers sandwich, and it's going to be great. I'm sure we will. I will get the most drunk that I've ever been with you when I come to Pittsburgh oh. to visit. I'm sure that oh. will happen. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> 
That'll be that live show, folks, will be epic. It'll be so good. Yeah. So we missed the July 2nd, saw it on July 3rd, and we were late to like we were late to getting in line. Like we got there early, but we were still in the back of the line to get into the theater. So we ended up in like the seats that were because this was before like stadium seating really took off everywhere. And so it was just like a regular movie theater, like an old fashioned movie theater type where everybody's on the same floor. Just kind of slants down a little bit. Just slants down a little bit. Maybe you get a little bit of like if it's a nice theater, they try to seat the, the seats so that like they're in between the seats in front of it. But we were down in the like second row tucked off to the right in the pit. Oh God. And it was great. When Will Smith punched the alien and welcome to earth, the whole like the entire sold out, like, I don't even know, like 300 seat theater, like just burst into uproarious applause. You know, that's a good example of the whole time in the background. I was thinking, man, okay. So Clinton was president. But I'm like, what was our administration doing? If they if they were worth their salt, we would have planned to invade some country during this because everyone would have been like, yeah, yeah, let's go get them. Yeah, fuck them. You know, like, oh, the- man, everybody. Well, that was actually was a, or I'll touch on some of that later. Yeah. <laughs> it, so I went to see it day after opening day and I went back to see this movie six times in the theater. Whoa. Oh my God. I saw Holy this movie shit. so much. And actually, technically, I've seen it seven times in the theater now. That's awesome. Because when they released the sequel, there was a theater that was doing a back-to-back showing. And so me and Booyah went to go see that together. Because <laughs> we were like, as soon as we found out that was happening, he calls me up and he was like, dude, we're doing this, right? I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, yes, we are. Did you get better seats this time around? It, w- this time we were at like one of those movie theaters where like the thing reclines and like it's, oh. it's all automated and we're just like laying oh. there still in the second <laughs> row for old time's sake, but just like oh, looking straight up awesome. at the screen going like, this is great. The sequel's no good, but right. no. we had a blast. I'll bet. And yeah. Like, I got this movie on VHS for Christmas, and it was, like, my favorite gift that year. Like, I wore the VHS out. (laughs) I own this movie on 4K. It would be worth it on 4K. I watched this with Jackie, my girlfriend, and I didn't know she was, like, nuts about this movie, but it makes sense. She's born in 1990, so she may or may not have seen this in theaters, but she was, like, you know, sort of becoming an older kid. I mean, it's PG, so, it's, right, is it PG? Right. I thought it was PG thirteen for violence. No, it it is PG. Shut up! Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And uh, they they changed that line where he says "fuck my lawyer." Yeah, uh, David's friend. God, what's his name? Harvey Firestein is the actor's the name. Good Harvey Stein. <laughs> I gotta call my lawyer. Ah, forget my lawyer. But they did that to avoid the the R rating. <laughs> oh my God! Thank you, because I was watching it last night with my husband, and I I looked at him and I was like didn't he originally say, fuck my lawyer? And he's like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, but it clearly was, it was one of those terrible like TV edits where, you know. Right. Can I tell you that I I loved this movie so much back in 1996 that I read the novelization. Oh, wow. Liam's going deep. Yes. Which is which is how I knew about the original ending, which is now the alternate ending. 
Oh, crazy. Okay, I want to hear about that later. But before I get into that, and before Katie does her next bit, I wanted to ask you, so Jackie and I texting back and forth, again, I didn't realize how much she loved this movie. And then the more we're talking about it, the more she's not latching on to me trying to shit on any part of it whatsoever. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? This film is amazing. And, you know, she's just going off and on. (laughs) So at the end of the conversation, I was like, wait, I get it now. You don't understand my love for the Terminator, but this is your Terminator. Like, yeah. this is the film that came out when you were seven, and it would just, like, blew your mind, and the nostalgia has sunk so deep into your cells that now it's like you see the flaws and you see the cheesiness, but it doesn't matter because overall, this film has won your heart. But it doesn't come with the heavy cost of James Cameron. This comes with the heavy cost of Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich is not going to win an Oscar. But he did. The film did. Well, no, he's not. <laughs> going- best visual. Okay, as a director. Yeah, he's sure. not going to win any best directing Oscars ever. Okay, but picture this. Picture this. Jim Cam and Roll M direct the like combination of this and the Terminator and somehow if there's anything good about Avatar, just imagine the potential there. No. I mean, they could just no. knock it out of the park. <laughs> no. No, it's too late for Jim Cam. <laughs> you and Jackie would be just all up on that. Oh, man. You'd have to rent out the theater. Otherwise, you'd get arrested. <laughs> I'm I'm still working on winning her over on, J- on James Cameron. She's on the fence. So, Liam, would you? is this like your Terminator? Did, are you in Jackie's camp? I am definitely in Jackie's camp on that. Except, like, if somebody thinks this movie sucks, I'm fine. It doesn't bother me that, like, one of one of my other best friends hated this movie from word go, mostly because of Randy Quaid, but just absolutely hated it. Legit, though. Arguably the best part of the movie, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it just doesn't tarnish anything for me for somebody sure. else hearing it but yeah well and that's i mean for me with the terminator it's not like i take personal offense if someone says that film sucks it's just that if they're gonna say it sucks i need them to like back up their opinion and actually analyze whether they can recognize the difference between the good things and the bad things which is the same thing i would want to see out of this movie if someone said it sucked it's like you can't throw the whole thing away there are definitely oscar winning things about this film right? well that's the thing is that like with this I don't have a good reason for loving it. So I don't need somebody to have a good reason for hating it. I just love it. And that's all there is to it. So if you're like, fuck this movie, I'd be like, okay, more for me, more for me. Right. So when I ask, is this your Terminator? I could rephrase that question and say, is there any other film from this like three to four year period that fills this slot for you in terms of it's like sci-fi, it's big and banging, it's super fun. It's not necessarily a great work of art, but like when you were a kid, you absolutely loved it. Like does something else fill this slot or is this it for you? No, I think I get what you're, what, what you talk about with Terminator. I feel when somebody says that Labyrinth is better than the Dark Crystal. That's where that's where I come into it, where I'm like, okay, you better like fucking bring your receipts to me because <laughs> you're incredibly wrong. And Dark Crystal is the Citizen Kane of 80s fantasy puppet, puppet films, children's movies. Oh man, Jamie is going to be so happy to hear you say that. Dar- the Dark Crystal is, if you put him on an island and he can only bring one film, like that's the film, despite the fact that he has both an alien and a Blade Runner podcast. Well, Jamie and I are going to cheat on you and we're going to do a Dark Crystal podcast. <laughs> 
Probably, <laughs> probably true. I would say if we ever did a Patreon on Dark Crystal, which we could because it's definitely war adjacent, I would bring Jamie on for that for sure because he's like the expert. Yeah, that's interesting because I love Labyrinth as well. Did you see the uh, the Netflix prequel, Dark Crystal? You know, I, I started to watch it and then I was like, it, like I just had this moment about like three episodes in where I was just like, this isn't bad but I really don't need it. Like this isn't going to enrich my enjoyment of the, it's kind of like how I feel about the, the HBO Watchmen series. Like it's good. I just don't need it. It, it doesn't. Right. I, I don't entirely know why it was made. I don't have any nostalgia for it that you can reasonably like cash in on. It's not going to tarnish my enjoyment of the original it's not going to further it in any way. I feel the same way about the sequel to Catch-22, which I will never read. There's a, a book called Closing Time. Like, I don't need to read Closing Time. That makes sense. What you guys are talking about for me is such the essence of what I was saying earlier with Big Stupid Fun. Because like, in order to have a Big Stupid Fun movie, you must have all three. Two does not suffice. <laughs> it has to be big. It has to be bombastic, huge, fucking crazy over the top. It has to be fun. It has to be silly and enjoyable and have a lot of dumb jokes and just, one liners. Yep. Oh, one liners are necessity. And then the stupid. And here's the thing that I want people to take away from this is when I say stupid, I am not saying it like it's a bad thing. Like it's stupid and that anybody can enjoy it. It's it's just it knows exactly what it's doing and it goes for it. Like I coined this term with the most recent not the King Kong Godzilla movie, but the Kong Skull Island. I watched it and I was like, that was big, stupid, and it was fun. And I loved it. Also Jack Black. No, it's, no, John it's not C. Jack Riley. Black. Yeah, it's John C. Riley. Oh, which one's Jack Black? You're thinking He's of in... Jumanji. Yeah. No, Jack Black. And he was in King Kong. Yes. Okay, I was going to say. The King Kong was is what in, I was thinking He of. was in King Kong. The Peter Jackson one. The right. Fuckface made. <laughs> We're just going to skip right past that, folks. Don't delete that. It's the minefield of like, can you, how many names, this could be a good drinking game. How many Hollywood names can you go around the table and list before Liam hates one of them? And you like, it's not many. If you can get to like eight, it's like you win something. Oh, we got to turn this into a game. We could totally do that. That would be a fun one. (laughs) I love it. So the thing is, is like. It's a certain kind of movie. And as I was reading about the history of how this affected blockbusters, I was like, this is really like the first one of these, like where the director just embraces it and they gave it just like all the budget, all the budget. Like this is in the equivalent of like a Marvel film for. Because this was after Stargate, right? Yep. Yep. It was Universal Soldier, then Stargate. Yeah, because I saw Stargate in the theaters with my dad and we both loved it. I remember Stargate being good. Yep, it's fine. Stargate didn't take off. No. But that one was only about 50 million. But that one also had like that weird obligatory post dances with wolves scene where like the girl has to like come in and try to undress and then like he has to like be like, oh, no, you don't have to do that. I don't know. It was a weird thing that happened in the 90s. It was. Right. It was. So this movie for me is the epitome of that. And I think that is the. It's like the fire pyramid. The fire pyramid? The the fire pyramid. Remember like when they were teaching you about like household dangers in elementary school or whatever, and it's like the fire pyramid or the fire triangle, where it's like you need three things for a fire. You need 
fuel, heat, and oxygen. And if you take away any one of those three things, you can't have a fire. Oh, okay. That's a t-shirt right there. Big, stupid, fun. Yeah. Yep. And then yep. in the middle is just fire. <laughs> just yeah. an explosion. <laughs> it's a, such a great category of movie. And I still, to this day, fucking love it. The last big, stupid, fun it. movie I watched, I think, was um, most recently, not that's come out, was um, Godzilla uh, versus Kong. That was just so perfect for that category nice my son got really into the monster verse in the lead up to godzilla versus kong and everybody in my house was pulling for king kong except for my son who was pulling for godzilla i think just to piss me off mm, Godzilla is awesome because i've been team kong since like 1930s nice oh, okay back when king kong was racist i've been a king kong stand since since he You've was been racist that? That makes sense. <laughs> so I think, and here's the thing why I think it's, it's a good thing to have big, stupid, fun movies, especially like this. And why I, I say that this movie is such a great example of it is because it knows what it's doing. Like Roland Emmerich, this is the kind of film he makes. He is a master of it. Like he made 2012, the day after tomorrow, like just over and over and over again, these kinds of big budget blockbuster disaster movies. Now, Katie, you had said, I'm sorry to interrupt before, like during your, your mission briefing, you'd said he did the Godzilla, but I think you said it was from 1996. That was 98, correct? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was 98. Okay. With Matthew Broderick and save. You've saved me a correction. I did. Thank you. Yes. I did. Matthew I did Broderick and Hank Azaria. I've watched it within the past few years to do an article Hank about Azaria. it. Wow. Oh my god, that movie! And Matthew Broderick, holy shit! That movie's that, movie that movie's garbage. real bad. I saw that one opening day too. It is too. not fun. I was like, "That's from the guy who made Independence Day." Sign me up! Oh god, yeah. it was a mistake. It's big and stupid, but not fun because that Godzilla is not a Godzilla. No, as one of my uh, one of my friends from college used to refer to him as Iguana the Suckass. Yeah, it's like you go see you go in looking yes. to see Godzilla, and you end oh up with god. Iguana the Suckass. And it's yeah. just no good. Wow. It's like this, this movie has so much going for it. And the fact that Emmerich just fully embraces it is what makes it good. It's why I can totally understand why Jackie loves it. Cause it's just like, well, it just, it knows what it's doing and it's known what it's doing since he made it in 96. Emmerich was not somehow thinking he's making this great epic. He embraced every little bit of it. No, it's like, hey, what if we took that REM song and made it into an action movie? Right. Like, that's what it is. And it's it's like self-aware and embraces itself. It is very confident in its identity is what I would say about this film. But it's not too self-aware. I think Godzilla, one of the big fall downs of Godzilla for me is how self-aware it is. It's just, it right. goes into obnoxious. Right. Whereas this rides that very fine line that a lot of movies had difficulty with after about 1995. So sometimes I like to I like to compare things to food. Like my Titanic is the same thing as crab bisque. Yes, yes. Right, a perfectly good dish that Liam just happens to not like. It, it totally <laughs> blows. It's terrible. You think you like it, but you really don't. But it takes you like half a bowl to remember that. <laughs> this movie reminds me of my argument about frozen pizza. Okay. I don't 
think you've had that one on here, though. I haven't. No. But it puts no. me in. Like, I'm about to explain it to let's, you. Let's hear this. What's your capital T, the argument? I was like, oh, the, wow. Okay. The argument about frozen pizza. Like, what is the best frozen pizza? Oh. Jack's. No. Maybe Tombstone, but definitely Jack's. I have a strong opinion on this, but it'll be irrelevant to your point because I don't think you guys have Trader Joe's in Pittsburgh. We do. Thank you very fucking oh, much. Oh, yeah. I'm Trader sorry. I don't shop there because I hate it, but <laughs> we do. I was actually not shitting on Pittsburgh. I just thought that East Coast Trader Joe's was like not that widespread. I thought it was a little bit. More- no, we're, we're starting to get them yeah. all over the place. We have them and, here. And gotcha. I can't shop there. I literally can't do it because I walk in and I'm like, where the fuck's all your stuff? Is it too twee for you? It's it's clean and everything's on these weird little islands and it's not organized and I don't understand where everything is and there's no aisles and everything's short and I hate the people there and just fuck Trader Joe's. <laughs> just fuck them. You're missing out on some amazing products though. And one I of them- give a shit. One of them is their $5 combo frozen pizza, which I make all the time. And I, I do cheat. I add, like I chop up some olives and capers and slice some onions and add them on top. But it is Ooh. an amazing meal for $5. I never thought about capers on a pizza, but now I am. So good. And I'm so intrigued. Good. You're going to wake up and drink water all night, but it's delicious. You're all incorrect. You're all incorrect because the best frozen pizza is Totino's Party Pizza. <gasps> oh, my God. I mean, you're not wrong. The company that makes pizza rolls? Yes. Oh, my God. The you're Party Pizza. Wrong? Because- I'm going to have to leave for this. It is the only <laughs> frozen pizza that isn't trying to not be frozen pizza. <laughs> it, it is committing to frozen pizza. <laughs> it is the best shit ever. Like, if you want pizza, you don't want frozen pizza. But if you want frozen pizza, you want a fucking Party Pizza. And this movie is the goddamn party pizza of movies. I love it. My God. I can't wait for my mom to listen to this episode. It was a joke. It is still a joke in my family how many fucking Totino's pizzas and uh, Eggo waffles I ate in high school because I was so picky. Party pizza is the shit. Oh, my God. Like, I would eat five party pizzas right now in front of literally (laughs) anyone. Like, I I don't think I could say no to it. Oh, so good. I I don't even cut it. I just pick it up and I just eat it with my face. I would opt for the crab bisque for sure. But (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) This movie is so fucking much better than Titanic. There isn't even a, there's not a yardstick or Dan, a meter stick in existence Uh, that can measure how much better this movie is than Titanic. It's 1.1 yards. I think it's going for something totally different though. I don't care. And and that's, that's good. It succeeds at everything that it means to do. Yeah, it does. I agree. I mean, just in the opening, I was writing notes and there are like a solid three parts of the opening that I was like, well, well done. Check, check and fucking check. Roland Emmerich. Well, and also you have to remember that this movie came out in 1996. We still had like, we still had a fairly hard chubby for Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. When like it starts zooming in over the moon and the footprints on the moon are starting to shake out of existence. And like the, the lem is still there. Oh like, yeah. Me and my nerdy friends were just like, Oh, like this is great. <laughs> and when they when they show the plaque, they play an actual Armstrong recording. Yeah. That's really his voice, which is which was amazing. So 
it, once we get, we'll get into the making of and the models and stuff. But uh, one of the things the uh, production designer was talking about is how to show scale and how to show like the big mothership as opposed to when the destroyers come off of it. And one of the tricks was clean, simple lines result in a bigger looking ship. Like mm, I can see that. Not necessarily less detail, but the overall shape, it was like sort of teardrop shape with the two pods that reach down below it. Um, so it's different looking from the destroyers. And the scale is just massive. And I remember the beginning scene where you're you watch the satellite and they do that film school shot where the satellite's coming towards the camera and then the camera flips and you see it going away from the camera and it just keeps going towards this wall of ship that I think fills the entire screen. You can't even see the edges of the ship. You don't even know it's a ship until it blows up again. And you just keep watching and watching because you're like, oh, this satellite's going to blow up. I'm going to see an explosion here. And you keep watching and you keep watching and your eye can't determine when it's going to hit. It just takes so long. It takes so long. And when you see how tiny the explosion is, it really renders the scale of this massive ship. I am still falling. Yeah. And then also, uh, lastly, in that opening scene, when the destroyers start to detach and you get the shot from inside the mothership with the destroyer detaching like a plate and they totally pulled the Apollo 11 real footage slash Apollo 13 Zemeckis footage, you know, like the ring in part of the step fuel, uh, the rocket stages when the ring comes off and flips. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it also reminded me of the uh, the escape pod jettisoning, jettisoning from jettisoning, jettisoning, jettisoning. leaving, J- jettisoning, 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 jettisoning. <laughs> the escape pod jettisoning, jettisoning. It's lost oh, all meaning, man. folks. You know. Lost all meaning. <laughs> the the escape pod leaving in there Star Wars, which yeah. Emmerich said was a big influence for this. This movie has so many homages to other sci-fi movies oh yeah uh, like planet of the apes is in there like it's got all kinds of shit so the 90s was such a time of like gay jokes where like oh god nobody wants to be gay oh and this movie if you i remember watching it in the 90s and seeing these and it has these moments it has two of the well harvey firestein's character is very much a gay stereotype is that just what harvey firestein was like it most is of, like it i was is. gonna say is he do you do you just get harvey firestein to yes show up Correct. if you want and is that he character? Gay, the actor oh god yeah so oh, god yeah can you be a stereotype if that's really who you are well like but the it's using his i am his flamboyant personality as a stereotype. And the script movie. is so very, like the lines that he gives are, regardless of who would have delivered them, are very stereotypical. But, and there's the other scene, which is when Harry Connick Jr., you know, Will Smith's buddy, he finds the ring in his pocket. Yes, and I fucking love that scene. down on one mm-hmm. knee. And the guy comes over and is just like, oh, hey, gonna leave now? No, he he puts his hands up. And walks backwards like I didn't see anything. I'm not. I'm not here. Because this was the era of don't ask, don't tell. Exactly. That's exactly what I put in my notes. I was like, wow. If I if they could not have done a better commercial for don't ask, don't tell. Literally, like you could have pumped that into military training videos. Like if you walk into this scene in the locker room, just walk away. Ain't none of your fucking business. Right. So I saw these, and now my brain went like. Really? Like, but I noticed that in that scene, it doesn't go for laughs. 
Like that scene isn't played for laughs. There's a little bit of awkwardness, but it doesn't like because the guy just raises his hands and walks away. He's not shocked. He's not disgusted. It's just a scene of reflecting the reality of the time. Well, Roland Emmerich is very, very openly gay and has been through his whole career. And so his inclusion of these things is just like, sir, in 1996, you knew what you were doing. And it made me respect him a lot more in that, that he was just like, well, fuck it. I'm going to include this very stereotypically gay character, which was still a huge step forward at the time. Yeah. Well, and I think that if you look at his record, again, just on this film, if you come up with other examples from other films, that's that's great. But, I mean, he has several prominently Jewish actors slash characters in it. Mm-hmm. And he is also Jewish. Okay, so there you go. As well as he went to bat for Will Smith and got some pretty like racist slash no, we don't want a black guy as our main character responses from the studio. And he pushed to make Will Smith the main character. So yeah, he was kind of the social justice director on this one. He really had sort of three categories of minorities in a sense that he prominently put in this film. In this particular case, especially considering that he's gay himself, I don't really see anything wrong with the even like the stereotyping or whatever i'm like no it works especially for the audience at the time he's kind of selling this whole oh yeah yeah this character's gay and i don't give a fuck like but the biggest impact for me was how will smith and harry connick jr don't react right they see that guy have that reaction and they don't immediately go like oh not gay bro or whatever they they just like oh hey and return to conversation like it's no big fucking deal and right. that is the thing that makes it different from most 90s movies and how they would have played that. And that's what makes it, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, subversive. A little bit of subversiveness thrown into your, um, and you'll find the same kinds of things in Joel Schumacher's movies, who is another very out. Fucking Joel Schumacher. Uh, oh, man. Your thoughts on Joel Schumacher aside. He was a very out gay man in the 90s when it was not really cool to do that as a director who made blockbuster films and wasn't afraid to be like, we're going to just liberally salt this with camp here. Just And we got to give Emmerich some credit for not putting nipples on the alien suit. That's so, so true. He's several notches above uh, Schumacher <sighs> right. to me. Right. And the women are never like, they don't get to go fly, but they feel like full, uh, well, as much as any character in this feels like a fully developed character because they're all pretty flat. So I, I didn't know this, but I ended up watching the like extended edition or whatever the hell it's called. Uh, it's just what was available on my friend's like server. And so I just put it on. And I'm like, two and a half hours seems kind of long. Sure enough, it was the one with like additional sort of deleted scenes or things that they cut out included. None of them really added anything of substance to the film and most of it was throwaway dialogue that i'm like yep i can see why they cut this i can see why they cut yet yeah, why they cut that however he does get to tell mario Casar to fuck off in the scenes that are included in the special edition and he does that by including the scene where Around 40 minutes in on the special edition, this was cut out of the regular theatrical, Vivica A. Fox's character quits her job as a stripper. When she leaves, she says to her boss, Nice working for you, Mario, in a sarcastic tone. This is a jab at producer Mario Casar, who forced Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin to cut some scenes from their last film, Stargate, from 1994. Mm. 
And this is Mario Casar of Terminator, I believe, one and two fame. He was a producer on those films. So I thought I thought that that was a nice, a nice little fuck you. Fuck you, asshole. That gives so much perspective about who Emmerich is, because for those of you who have the misfortune to have seen Godzilla in 1996. Damn it. It's in my head now. Liam, thank you. It's 98. 98. 90. Anyway. Um. (laughs) You will notice that the mayor of New York and his assistant look a hell of a lot like Siskel and Ebert. Oh. It is because Siskel and Ebert panned the fuck out of this movie. Like, I read Roger Ebert's review, <laughs> and, like, he was the one I was referencing when I was like, oh, my, sir, you, it's just it's just a fun sci-fi movie. Like, stop. Stop right, picking apart right. the plot holes. So Emmerich is that kind of guy where he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get back at you this do, way. Wait, then. do they die? What happens to them in Godzilla? I believe they do die. Okay. <laughs> I had a but they're just made to look like bumbling fools. That's the big insult. So it's just because uh, I, I, when I watched it recently, I was like, how does that guy look like Roger Ebert so much? <laughs> Which is a very specific look. Right. And there's one actor whose name I cannot remember for the life of me who, who does kind of look like him. But, you know, he's got the little glasses on and the same kind of suit style and all this. And I looked it up and sure enough, it was very much a jab at Roger Ebert. That's hilarious. Or school and Ebert. I was like, oh, I love the level of petty. Just to get back to it for a minute. I was so into this movie that I stayed up and watched Letterman every night of the week that he had like one night he had Will Smith, one night he had Jeff Goldblum, like oh, boy. one night he had Bill Pullman. Like, and I s- stayed up for like a week straight at night, like just watching these interviews because he was, everybody was all in on this movie. Mm-hmm. And like he had a top 10 list that was like top 10 signs that you're that you've seen the movie Independence Day too much. It, it was unreal. Like I'd never loved something that the rest of the world loved at the same time before. I can see. And I remember there was like a, a there was a political cartoon of Bill Clinton and Benjamin Netanyahu. And it was when when Netanyahu was new because this was right after Rabin was killed and Netanyahu was. Was on yeah, the it job. would have been the beginning of his. Yeah, so he was brand new. He still had that that new Netanyahu smell. <laughs> <laughs> and there was like Netanyahu was saying, "I really just want to see all of the nations of the world come together to to make the world a better place and really overcome these obstacles." And Bill Clinton's like, "Yes, I agree." And then the next frame is they're in line getting tickets for Independence Day. That's <laughs> hilarious. Not to mention, another thing I saw in the trivia was that, and I don't know what the status is now, but at the time, this was banned in Lebanon because, speaking of the world coming together, there was a scene where it showed Israelis and Iraqi troops, like, sort of, like, doing joint operations. And apparently, Lebanon's policy in general was to ban any movie that featured Israelis as nationals, I think, just like, you know, I think they're they're on the... That recognize the nation of Israel. Yeah, they're on the ignore Israel and pretend it doesn't exist train. Right. So, yeah, they banned it in Lebanon, which is kind of hilarious. But so speaking of speaking of fighting the whole feeling of, hey, let's all, you know, the world's going to come together for this. It's like, nope. Exactly. And then SNL on the weekend update had, I can't remember who it was who used to do the Bill Clinton impersonations back in the 90s. I think it's Daryl Hammond. 
but the weekend update had a special guest film reviewer and it was Bill Clinton doing a film review of Independence Day. Director Roland Emmerich's film Independence Day tells the story of a young, idealistic, compassionate president who's facing a crisis, frustrated in his personal life and unable to realize his vision for the country due to a hostile Congress. But suddenly, everything turns around and he's able to achieve true greatness when aliens invade Earth and a helicopter crash kills his wife. I love this movie. (laughs) (gasps) Oh my God! And he, yeah, and he just kept going back to that. It's like, well, what did you think about that? Just as long as they kill the president's wife, man, I'm a, it's okay oh, with me. God. Speaking of the president's wife, how well cast is Mary McDonald playing the president's wife? She was very first lady, like so much that she was made the president in uh, Battlestar Galactica. There you go. Yeah, she's really good in this, and like, I, I really like all the women in this, but her and Vivica A. Fox are definitely the standouts, right? Not the stupid friend that wants to go see the oh, aliens. God. That girl was like, can this girl die sooner, please? <laughs> Mary McDonald was uh, Stands with Fists in... Uh, stands with a Fist. Thank you. Stands with a Fist in Dances with Wolves. But yeah, like Mary McDonald, like, oh, I feel like I saw all of her movies in the 90s, but she never really like broke through. Like She's like a working character actor. Yeah. Yeah. Like she was in Dances with Wolves. She Wasn't she in Sneakers? Probably. I don't remember. I think she was like Robert Redford's girlfriend or ex-wife or something in Sneakers, I think. And then she was the president's wife in this. And She plays a lot of wives. Apparently the president in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, she she went on in, uh, in the 2000s to be the president in Battlestar Galactica opposite Edward James Olmos. Very competent and like confident person. She seems like I, I like her. Yeah, and I I gotta say more about Vivica A. Fox, because, like, she just fucking rocks it in this. She's such an interesting and different character than what we would usually see in this kind of movie. Because sex work is work. Exactly. Sex work is work. Today is International Sex Workers Day, actually. Happy International Sex Workers Day, everybody. That's right. She is just still very open about it. And like she's like, oh no, I'm I'm the exotic kind of dancer, right? But she is by far and away like my favorite scene in this entire movie, which it has been my favorite scene every time I've seen it, is when she and her son and the dog are trapped in the tunnel, and the fireball is coming, and she's like, oh hell no! She gets out and runs over and like kicks in a door with her son, and then gets the dog in, and it was just like, oh, that's the Oh yeah, that's not that's not just gets the dog in. That's like one of the most epic slow mo fireball scenes in the film. <laughs> right? We're like, we're like oh so no, the dog's right. gonna die, and then it's all like in slow mo. That was pretty uh, epic. And and she's just such a badass in that because for the I mean, there's a lot of heroic scenes in this movie, but that's the heroism that feels the most real out of all of it. Because I mean, you know, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum flying into space is not exactly on everybody's everyday radar. Shut up, that's real. <laughs> okay, it's real, Liam. I promise. That really happened. Okay, Jeff Goldblum did smoke a cigar with Will Smith. Dude, I would so love to just hang out with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and smoke cigars. That would be like the best day ever. I have read many things about Will Smith, and he is a very cool guy, is my understanding. 
minus flirting with Scientology angle. But yes, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Oh, I didn't even know that. Well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, if you're Scientology, Will Smith is a great get. Speaking of connections between Vivek A. Fox and Harry Connick Jr., well, real quick, my, my favorite line in the film is from Harry Connick Jr.'s character when he's talking to Will Smith and he goes, you're never going to fly the space shuttle if you marry a stripper. Every single review <laughs> mentioned that line. Really? It's such yes. a good line. Yes. Also, I was commenting on Harry Connick Jr. and I'm like, you know, he's kind of a Sam Rockwell, not the same level of acting chops, but in terms of his looks, he's like not classically handsome, but he's got a lot of charisma and a lot of swagger. And he's got a good singing voice. Oh, he's well, right. Jackie was like, singer. yeah, he's a singer. He's not like acting is not his main jam. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, he starts to list off his awards and singing. And I was like, oh, shit. Like I, now I can't find it. But he has seven top 20 U.S. albums and 10 number one U.S. jazz albums. Are they all Christmas albums? Because they should all be Christmas albums. Not all of them. I feel like the only time I've listened to him sing was at Christmas. Nice. But here's the important part of the trivia. Earning more number one albums than any other artist in U.S. jazz chart history. I was like, God damn, Harry wow. Connick Jr., good for you. And he gives a lot back to his community. Like That's he's great. very locally involved. Another good dude. Yes. This and is we so wholesome. celebrate the few good dudes. I've seen him in this and in Copycat. Oh, he's so creepy in that. I love <laughs> right? that. One. These are my two Harry Connick Jr. movies. And, and I've I've seen him in Hope Floats with Sandra Bullock. Oh shit. I forgot I saw Hope Floats, that <laughs> yes. stupid fucking movie. It's the oh, worst. It's so dumb, but I, I I really loved it when I was, you know, fourteen. It, I saw that in the theater with my girlfriend at the time in high school. Oh, and like I was like, this movie fucking sucks. And we weren't <laughs> we weren't together for much longer after that. My mom is shaking her head right now, going, mm-mm. Don't no. insult my Harry Connick Jr. No, I'm not. My mother loves him. I, that's fine, but Hope Float sucks. <laughs> I, I'd like to add another thing that pretty much, if you put it in your movie, it means your movie is great, which is the Second Street Tunnel in L.A., famously from Blade Runner, also in The Terminator, also in this movie. I thought you were going to say James Rebhorn. <laughs> <laughs> Classic, that guy. A little throwback to our very first Danger Close episode. Jackie, I, I got to give her the, she won this, it wasn't an argument, but I was like, I don't know, he seems a little young for that. But she called out Adam Baldwin as being animal num mother in Full Metal Jacket. And I, I thought he looked so young in this that 10 years later, I was like, oh, that can't be him. He must just look similar. But turns out, sure enough, Jackie was right. Just wanted to throw that on the record. Mark it down. Mark it down. Everybody keeping a score <laughs> She's going to remember that one. Yes, she is. However... I do have to shit on whoever I have to have my Marine shits on blank moment here. And I don't know who's responsible for this, but I believe it's Harry Connick Jr. talking to Will Smith and he calls him soldier in like one of the scenes where they're like walking to her from the plane. And I was like, right, they're airmen. No, they're Marines. Are you trying to offend me? Oh, are they Marines? Yeah, they're Marines. Oh. No Marine on the fucking planet, not even joking around, would ever call another Marine soldier. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. Like, it's just, it's the worst type of goof you could possibly have in terms of the military. So I thought that was funny that, like, no one caught that. And the other thing was, what the, was Area 51, like, a secret in 1997? Yes. Because the characters seem to be talking about it like yes. the government hasn't even confirmed that it exists. Is that the case? First of all, it's 1996, and second of all, yes. What did I say? 
You said 1997. 1997. God damn it. 1996. <laughs> We're never going to get this right. No. Fair enough. Dates are not good this episode. Okay, fine. I know all of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I'm just- so that was what I was wondering, because I feel like it was like a known secret. Like the government hadn't admitted anything about it, but everybody knew no, that like it was, there, were- there was an Area 51, if even if they didn't know what happened there. No, it was crackpots. It was like the... Was it still at that point? It was still crackpots at that point. Like it was something that you'd see on the X-Files. Right. Like the, the lone, yeah, I guess that the makes lone sense. gunman on the X-Files would have been like into Area 51 shit. And it's probably less the government denying its existence as opposed to the government just not commenting because they're like, uh, yeah, we don't really, you don't deserve to know anything and we don't, we have no obligation to tell you shit about it. Yeah, it was, that was completely- The like, government says, none your business. Exactly. With things like the X-Files- in the 90s and then this with area 51 like a lot of it came i don't know if it was just considered like still a joke when people talked about it but yeah that was that was the that but was the, the government thing. did take it seriously because initially when they heard about the script and whoever reached out to the dod to like get some help on filming and stuff initially they had offered yeah you can like film on our bases and they started to have a initial steps of collaboration once they heard that area 51 was mentioned in the movie they withdrew everything and they did not participate at all in the filming of this so i thought that was pretty interesting other than maybe a couple of f-18s on the ground that weren't cg whereas most of the ones in the air were the other thing that's interesting re area 51 is the nighttime footage of area 51 is actual camcorder footage from some loon that accessed that hill that now the government took over and you can no longer it's no longer public access but at this time you could go up there and actually get shots of area 51 they used some of that footage in the film so i i can imagine the that's government crazy. wasn't too happy about that one either so that's emmerich, emmerich is just flipping the bird to as many people as he possibly can here it's great emmerich is not afraid to be petty and i support this can we talk about the effects? Because there's just so much to say. Oh. I love how they did the slow wall of fire. Dude, like everything. The miniatures in this are so great. Mm-hmm. So great. But I just like, like it, because it, when I was, was seeing in the theater, I was like, this is amazing. It wasn't until like years later that I actually watched a, a video about like how they did that. And I was like, that makes so much fucking sense. Like they just turned the miniatures upwards and then just like lit a fire upwards and i was like that that's awesome right because fire goes up that's great so simple yeah i think that they really nailed emmerich's team but i know his philosophy as well they really nailed this concept especially for 1996 when cgi was pretty new you know it was a couple years after jurassic park new and pretty shitty most of the time Mm -hmm. unless you built a big enough team and put enough budget and time into it which they did here and so what's cool about yeah you can go on youtube and watch the making of it but i think it's the perfect blending of practical effects and models and cgi for what they absolutely should not have tried to do themselves like for example the new york city destruction scene that liam's talking about is in in broad terms it's four elements composited together it's the city model which mm-hmm. they built in in really really good detail because you get you get some close-ups for a couple of seconds so it had to look good and one thing i learned in studying the making of blade runner 
which has a lot of really great city models in it, is the model makers will say, you have to put 125% detail into the models when you're building them because the camera loses 25%. So however you want it to look, you have to add that much more crap onto the buildings because you're going to lose some of it, which was interesting. And they definitely did that here. But it was a combination of this model that they then turned upright so that the practical pyrotechnic fireball was going to travel upwards. And it leaned 10% uh, or sorry, 10 degrees into the fire so that the fire would kind of stick to the ground, so to speak. So there's a, those two elements. Blue screen, where they were able to CGI add the ship um, in the background firing into the building. And then all the live action stunts with cars flying. That was a combination of models as well as real real stunt scenes, including scenes where they were really craning, crane dropping cars onto other cars. Yes. And I, I, I read the Foley effects for that were dropping car chassis onto each other with explosives in them. And that's the Foley that they use for those that's scenes. Awesome. So it's not just the cars they blew up and threw on each other in the scene, but it's also the Foley was made blowing up actual cars. I was like, wow, that's that's a commitment. And I think- Why not just film the cars blowing up? Because like- <laughs> there's too many actors right there. But um, that in combination with the work that they did- in making that $50,000 White House model, which is was in the trailer and is probably the most famous scene in the and film. That scene is not in the film. It might be in the extended edition, but they cut that scene out of the film, the scene that's in the thing, uh, that's in the trailers of the White House being destroyed. They Wait, actually... No, that's in the movie. No, the theatrical... Not, the White House not, explodes in yeah, the theatrical. Yeah, because the, the, air, the airplane takes off. Well, it okay, so I don't know if you see the... The helicopter blows up. Yeah, the 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 uh, the airplane takes off. The helicopter is like pulling up off the lawn. Do we actually see the White House blow up? I know we see the 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 laser come down. Yes, I, I'm almost positive because when I watched this extended edition, if that had been new to me, I would have been like, "Holy fuck!" They didn't put this in the original. I know it's in there. Plus, that was fifty grand just for the White House model. Let alone the power. That 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 effect right there was probably a two hundred thousand dollar effect. And they got it right the first time. There's no way you could have convinced someone to not put that in the film. I swear to God, I have read something about it that like they cut just that one shot. There's like a specific thing that they cut out of it because of censors or some bullshit that happened. And it's not the whole thing. It's just this the moment in the trail. How it's portrayed in the trailer is mm. not the way it's portrayed in the film. I'm going to have to go back and watch The White House still explodes, but they very much gotcha. like limited it. And I think it's this. it's like the last maybe second and a half of the scene where you actually see it. Right. Yes. Yes. Because I remember seeing, I remember reading about it and being like, I swear to God, I remember that scene in the movie. But interesting. Yeah. I I think there was some, some editing decisions made because of concerns of how it would look. Just not patriotic enough. Right. I mean, they must have had at least six cameras on that scene. So I'm sure they had plenty of footage to choose from because again, you've spent months building this, super accurate they cast each part and then assembled it so it's all based on architectural drawings basically of a replica of the white house so it's super accurate and then you only get one shot blowing it up so of course they use some of those filmmaking tricks that you hear the terminator team talking about in the scene where they blow up the semi truck on that block that they built on a one six scale so similarly here to make an explosion look good And this is in the making of it. But if you film an explosion 
at a regular 24 frames per second, you're going to get two frames of explosion, then it's done. Yep. So you're you're getting one twelfth of a second of explosion on the screen and then it's over. So the way to get the effect that they're doing is you film it at like 300 frames per second and slow it down. And while I think this may have been one big explosion, like in Terminator, I remember them explaining how they built like 24 separate small explosions that all go off in a row, but all within a half a second. And then you slow down the frame rate and you get this nice extended three second shot in the final film where you get to watch the explosion. And and of course, in the famous scene, the Marine helicopter, the presidential helicopter not with the president on board is taking off and the so it's not marine one it's not and it and the rotors facing the camera and then the helicopter explodes along with the white house and the rotor kind of shoots off towards the camera that was a really cool shot i mean i could go off about these special effects but they're real good there's a reason they won best visuals and like even watching it and i'm sure liam you watched on 4k too like the it still does very much hold up there's a couple of moments where like um when they're in the hangar and they've just released the alien ship to prove that it can fly and the guy walks down in front of it, that point you can see that it's a, it's a green screen for a model. But like when there isn't someone walking in front of it, it looks so spot on. Like it's just fantastic. It must just be the shot because they did have a 65 foot real scale model of that ship in that scene. Then they must have used green screen for the background parts of that giant scale model because it's the compositing that doesn't quite gotcha. work. Yeah. And it's the scene where the engines are actually going ah, and the okay. thing is floating and lifted off the ground. Right, right. So I would bet they here strape everything in green and that was the part where the compositing doesn't quite work. And it's all because of the lighting. It's not because of the film itself. It's just the lighting just doesn't work that well in that kind of environment. It's the hard thing to do, especially at the beginning of CGI. Yeah, I was reading that this holds the record for most miniatures used in a film and experts predicted that it would probably never be surpassed because of the advent of CGI and how much more it was going to get used in the future. It's probably the last film to use this many miniatures miniatures which every single plane in the film except for the by the crop duster oh man which we haven't even talked about uh good old randy quaid yet but uh his plane is the only real plane in the film and the flying scene where he's dusting the wrong field is real but the rest are all models on the ground or cgi in like the huge dog fighting scenes right and and it, they all look good you know the f-18s look great but um, how about Randy Quaid? Oh, yeah. We got to talk a little bit about the acting in this. And Randy Quaid is as good a place <laughs> to start as any. Because that boy, that boy, wild. Star Whackers are going to get him. Wild. Just, phew. Like, and I remember him in this and liking him in this. And then, like, watching him slowly go off the rails until now, he just kind of feels like a caricature of this character. Right? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you ever watch Jeff Bridges and just be like, have you just been the dude the whole time? Or did you become the dude after you played the dude? I think he's always been the dude. Here, a true, true fucking story. His, some of his friends watched The Big Lebowski and they called him and they were like, what the hell? What the hell? How did you, you got somebody to just film you being you from when we were kids? Like, yes, that is totally who Jeff Bridges was. The Coen brothers unlocked that in him. Because I mean, like you, but you watch him in things like the Fisher King and he's not the dude, 
right. since he's played the dude, there's been a little bit of dude in like literally everything he's done. Agreed. And sometimes it doesn't work. And and then I think the true grit is the other film that really changed his performances. He started really mumbling a lot after that. Performance. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love his performance in that. I do too. I do too. But it's just, I noticed after I watched it and then I watched him in other films, it was like, why are you mumbling? This film doesn't call for mumbling. But like Randy Quaid is basically doing that. Like he plays these crazy characters and then just became them. Right. Yeah. Like how is he the brother of Dennis Quaid? Like how does it, that's like the movie twins with Schwarzenegger and DeVito. He's the decided DeVito of that pairing. Right. Don't insult Danny DeVito like that. Oh my God. Anyway, I started blasting. Wow. <laughs> if you had to grow up in Dennis Quaid's shadow your entire life, you know, eventually it takes its psychological. But isn't he the older brother? I mean, yes, sure but I'm just talking about career. <laughs> I'm just talking about the shadow of his brother's career, not age-wise. You know, one of them made it, so to speak, and the other one but did it, not. But I will say, his performance works in this, and he is exactly what the film needs for that role, which... When they took him up in the spaceship, the aliens abused <laughs> him. Sexually. <laughs> I fucking love that line. It cracked me up the whole time. Like the, the, the amount of pause that he gives there. It's like listening to uh, somebody say bond, James bond. And it's just like the longer that pauses between bond and James bond, the more I enjoy it. That was, that was that, that little moment right there. Sexually. (laughs) (laughs) And he's trying to not laugh because he's talking to the news, but really they're just making fun of the character. Right, right. I also love that there are just no questions about it that Randy Quaid can just go from a crop duster to like a brand new F-18. No big deal. And is just handling that plane. I'm like, yeah, that's not how that works. Well, that's part of the the ending in the novelization. Oh. And the alternate ending, which they also filmed. They don't take him. Oh, interesting. (gasps) And he steals a bomb and ties it to his biplane and flies the biplane in at the last moment. Oh, my God. Why didn't they do that? That's better. It sounds amazing. Which is. It makes so much more sense within the scene. It makes more sense for one reason only, really. Well, two reasons. Number one being like. None of them would figure out how to fly an F-18. Right. Which is hilarious. But secondly, it explains why they thought they fired all of their missiles. Right. Wait, what? Because they thought everybody had fired all the missiles and everybody was out of them. And then Randy uh, Quaid comes and he's like, I'm not ready, sir. I'm packing. <laughs> and he still has a missile left. And Reshoots, man. And so like when he goes to fire it, it jams. So you could sort of like just be like, oh, well, it it must have like been reading on their sensors as malfunctioning or something, this, that, and the other. But like they thought they'd fired all their missiles according to the little computer screen that says how many missiles they have left. I don't know if that's a thing. Sure, but when he but when he strapped it to his plane, he wasn't able to fire it. It was a suicide when, mission the whole right, time. When he strapped it to his plane, that would have I mean, it's tied to a biplane with rope. That wouldn't have shown up on their computers. Of course. Right. Of course. So yeah. That's right, why right, I'm right. saying it makes more sense with the biplane. And it's just better. I don't know why you'd get rid of that. I don't, it looks, it doesn't look great. Yeah. I could see how that would be the not 
Because they, they really like that end scene. Yeah, it's it's a little too campy. I don't know. It's when you watch it happen, it's just one 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 bridge too far. Is okay. like, oh, of course, the dickhead with the biplane is going to fly in. And this this film is riding that edge so hard really throughout the does. entire thing. It is grinding the edge as if it was riding a skateboard. Like, damn. Yeah, it it definitely does it. I <laughs> I had one last one before we wrap that I wanted to make sure we threw in here. I couldn't. I, I was kind of surprised after you read how Will Smith got cast in this and kind of where he was at in his career. I mean, you know, he was rich and famous at this point. He, you know, those Fresh Prince episodes are still probably sending him royalty checks every month. Oh, guaranteed. Did you see the thing on, uh, did you see the thing on Google? Uh-uh. Where if you, uh, if you Google Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you can do this right now if you like. And the little, there's a license plate that says Fresh that, uh, that pops up. And if you click that, it takes you to like a... A, a fresh prints page of Google. That's awesome. That like, oh, that's cute. there's all like everything you click on, it plays a different sound bite or has like Carlton dancing. And then when you exit back out, like jazz gets thrown out of the house. <laughs> that's great. But yeah, uh, coming into this film, not being really a huge star yet, you know, this is the film that kind of propelled him into the stardom that we know him for now. So I still haven't seen it. But prior to this, he actually got a lot of critical notice for being in Six Degrees of Separation. Correct. And that's why Emmerich picked him was from yeah. seeing him in that film. Because he was uh, supposed to be like really good in that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but I, I want to. It was so I had a VHS tape of a Dennis Quaid movie called Undercover Blues that I watched so many times that I memorized like trailers for movies that I've never seen. Right. Oh God. And, and six degrees of separation was one of them. So like, I know it has Stockard Channing and Donald Sutherland and Will Smith in it, but like, I've never, hell of a cast. I've never seen this movie and I will probably die having never seen six degrees of separation. <laughs> I can do six degrees of Kevin Bacon from Clara bow in five moves, but I've never seen six degrees of Kevin Bacon of, of separation. But you're going to watch Independence Day another 200 times, probably yes. at least, before you die. Time well spent. A little uh, over an hour in, which is the scene where Will Smith is dragging the alien across the desert um, so after good. he shoots it down. This was filmed on the Salt Flats near the Great Salt Lake in Utah, which, side note, some of the crew wearing full length pants got sunburns on their legs from the sun reflecting onto the white surface and then up their pant legs and <laughs> irradiating their legs. I was like, damn, that's intense. Everything about that sounds like hell to me. Right? So when he says, and what the hell is that smell? And he walks back over and kicks the unconscious alien. So that was an unscripted line. And it's because the Great Salt Lake is home to tiny crustaceans called uh, brine shrimp. When they die, the bodies sink to the bottom of the lake, which isn't very deep, and decompose. When the wind kicks up just right, the bottom mud is disturbed, and the smell of millions of decaying brine shrimp can be very, very oh, bad. Apparently, nobody warned Will Smith. <laughs> That's like one of the best bits of <laughs> trivia I've ever read in a movie. <laughs> I love it. That's he just hilarious. got so he just got so pissed off that he called out that line and then walked over and kicked the fucking alien. That's so great and so Will Smith. Oh, like yeah. it's 
he's he's just so fun in this and like it was such a great opportunity for him to get to really stretch his wings and be more than just you know the fresh prince the funny guy because he's funny in this but he's also a lot of other things fucking ripped oh, oh yeah. yeah and i will say this is in the time before serious dehydration was required for every goddamn shirtless scene for every dude like he looks ripped naturally and healthy and not yeah, he looks healthy Right. Right. Like, he's not, you know, Chris Evans in Captain America, but that's because Chris Evans is almost dead in those scenes. Like, dehydration to the point where, like, you haven't had any water in two days. Yeah, this is the uh, Hugh Jackman in the Wolverine films where that, you know, he, right. even, he even talks about it where he's like, yeah, I'm nowhere near that ripped, but you just, like, dehydrate yourself for five days before you shoot and it just pulls out all your muscles. I was like, damn. That's how they do that? Yeah. It also includes working <laughs> out for two years and he's like, in super shit, good I'm shape. I'm just going to stop drinking. Anything to get it to pop out quite like that and to be that cut. Um, yeah, a lot of it is getting rid of water in your muscle mass, which is definitely not healthy for you, but you could do it temporarily. And he looks good without having to do any of that. Yeah, he looks great. I, he posted a picture recently, and Will Smith's probably what a few years older than me and Liam. He's like maybe 45 or something, maybe a little no. older. No, he's like he's 50. like 50, is 55. He? Okay, yeah, he's not 55, really. Okay, yeah, yeah now you gotta old. look this up. I will, but he. He posted a picture with like a gut and he's in like he's in like a bathrobe in his backyard. It's like a super kind of Randy Quaid looking kind of picture. And he tweeted it out saying, y'all, I'm not even going to lie. I'm in the worst shape of my life right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, That's amazing. Good. That just makes me like Will Smith even more. Dude, I'm like, I fucking got the best thing ever in the mail the other day. I, I ordered it a while ago and it and it arrived. I got a weighted snuggie. Oh wow! Oh my god, that's amazing. It's a red pla- It's a red and black plaid weighted snuggie, and I was gonna wear it tonight for the recording, <laughs> but it's a little too warm because it's like a fleece. It's super comfortable, but like I sweat like bejesus in it. So when we start getting into like the colder months, you're gonna see the the weighted snuggie come out. The trick is you go naked underneath and then put the snuggie on. Well, you'll never like perfectly comfortable. Exactly. (laughs) Except I'll tell you. I have an amazing Pusheen Amigurumi that I will definitely bust out if you're doing that, Liam. I did not understand like anything. I know the first of those three words. That is the awesome. None of those words made any sense to me. Is that the thing that I keep mixing up with Totoro? Yes, it is. It's like a cat Totoro. It's gray and it's got stripes. And an amigurumi is a Japanese garment that's like a pair of onesie, like pajamas, like footy pajamas with no feet, but- Those aren't footy pajamas anymore. So pajamas? (laughs) Well, like it's all a one piece. Oh, okay. And they're really, really baggy and they have characters. So like it has a big, mine is a unicorn pusheen. So I can pull it up and it has like a little pusheen face on the forehead and a unicorn horn. And it's the warmest and best thing ever. Wow, Katie just upped the like nerd game by at least three oh. three notches here. Oh, I haven't even haven't even started. I that. saw Independence Day six times in the theater. What do I have to do around here? <laughs> Jesus. Well, you get were- a Pusheen Amigurumi, obviously. But she was like the tangential nerd. You're like the on topic nerd. <laughs> so surprisingly, since we've hey, gone off topic, so many rarely times. have I ever been accused of being on topic. Right, that's true. You're. I think it's getting to you though. You're. You're starting to get better about it. Like you've steered the ship on this 
in general on our shows, like at least three times as opposed oh, to me always doing it. So God damn it. I got to <laughs> stop doing that. You're growing up, Liam. No. Speaking of which, I was going to ask, Liam, can you put yourself in an objective enough yet self-reverential place, which I know will be hard for you to do, where Liam makes this film better? Hmm. Could I make this film better? I'm not particularly enamored with the score. Yeah, the score on this is not... Like, it got best sound, but I can only assume that the best sound is in reference to the editing. To them fully uh, blowing up cars. Right, right, the design. And, and like, because the score on this, I felt the same way. I was like, I feel like this movie could have even been more successful if it had had a really epic score. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to play Starship Troopers in the background next time I watch this. It's good. It'll be better. (laughs) Yeah, it it was missing, uh, like, John Williams. Yes. Yes. It wanted some John Williams to it. Maybe some James Horner. I don't know. But I think but I think Spielberg just had had the uh he has the contract. He's got John Williams in his basement and he like <laughs> just throws him like raw steak every couple of days. <laughs> some more grist for the mill, Williams. I'm making another movie. He's like Dwight Fry just eating flies in Spielberg's basement. <laughs> Speaking of Spielberg, there's a good Jurassic Park callback in this where Jeff, I forget exactly which scene it's in, but where Jeff Goldblum says, must go faster, faster must go faster in the yep, ship. It's when, they're, it's when they're escaping the alien mothership. Mm-hmm. This is, must go faster, must go, go faster, go, 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 go. Uh, that shit is yep. so good. In, 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 what is it? Stupid, dirty fun? No. Big, Big stupid, stupid fun. Big stupid fun. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I named a new category that's different. But. <laughs> stupid, dirty fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely not dirty with a PG rating, despite having a stripper in it. So there is a, a Venn diagram of like very strange pop culture nerdiness at which I, I think might have been the only person in the center. Oh, boy. And the three circles are? Back when this was okay. No, it's just two circles. Oh, two circles. Just a okay. two-circle Venn diagram. Is that a is that a Venn diagram if yes. it's two circles? Okay. Yes. Yes. And this was back in 1996 when we didn't know it wasn't okay to like Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. But they, Jeff Goldblum had a throwaway Bill Cosby quote. No shit. Which one? He was, he was quoting a Bill Cosby routine from, I think, his album, I Started Out as a Child from like the early sixties. And it was the trigger warning. Liam's going to talk about his love for old, uh, free scandal, Bill Cosby. Yeah. I, I grew up listening to Bill Cosby and oh, I'm sorry. when, yeah, it was, it's, it's hard to be me. Let's just forget <laughs> who the real victim here is. No, I'm just, <laughs> obviously I'm the one that should be apologized to for all the dirty shit that Bill Cosby did to people. But the the scene when Will Smith accidentally goes backwards and hits the wall oh, and he yeah. says oops. Yes, yep. Jeff Goldblum says oops. What do you mean oops? I <laughs> know what I've done when I said oops. What did you do saying oops there? That was from a Bill Cosby routine about like a doctor do like a surgeon doing surgery during local anesthesia and he says oops. <laughs> and the patient is like, "What?" Uh, it's like, you know, if like you're a mechanic and you fuck something up, it's just like, oops, you know, but if you're a surgeon, you can't say oops. But yeah, and I started cackling hysterically in the theater and everybody just kind of looked at me weird. Yeah, I think uh, you're the lone uh, lone ranger on that one. Yeah, 
I don't even know if IMDb, because I never looked it up. I don't even know if IMDb ever pulled that. I didn't see that. So is this connecting a thread where Liam makes it better is going to be putting more Bill Cosby jokes in no. Independence Day? Less. Less Bill Cosby. <laughs> uh, fewer, but yeah. Oh, burn. Oh, oh look at the grammar Nazi. Captured it oh. out in the wild. I don't yes. even do that one because it annoys the shit out of people, but I always oh catch it. But Liam had no problem. He just went. That was. Uh, oh, oh man. my God. Is it my birthday today? Or I'm the Rotten Tomatoes approved critic. Folks, L- and Liam was like, what Fox I do. 2, fire. <laughs> Fox 3. Wicked burn. <laughs> oh my Fucking goodness. I rarely get to do that in real life. Mortal Kombat takedown. It's usually just when I'm trolling right wingers on Facebook. As my mother would say, that's a countdown. Well, I'm about done, but uh, do you guys want to move on to our. Oh no, I am not done. Okay. Oh, you have thoughts? Not done. Liam, the floor is yours. We haven't talked about data. Oh, how could we? Yes, thank you. Right? Brent good, Spiner. Good save. Okay, so I was a huge Star Trek nerd when I was a kid. I, I've been watching Star Trek since I was four. So at this point, it is 31 years of watching <laughs> Star Trek. Wow. Like, my parents took me, and my parents are huge Star Trek nerds. Both of them watched it when they were kids, and they introduced me to my sister to the show when we were little. Next Gen was my first, but Deep Space Nine is my favorite. And so they would take us to the movies and all of this. And like, so I loved Brent Spiner and seeing him in this. I was just like, we're going to get to see him in movies. And then, (laughs) and then you didn't. And then never again, never again. And he's like, he's great in this role. Like, he's so fun. He is. But he's so poorly used. It's like, oh, he has such a great range of emotion. And you just cast him to play kooky science guy. Right. I also heard that in the sequel to this, which I fell asleep during and never went back to finish. It's terrible. Yeah. Right. But he's still alive. Yeah. They bring him back to life and make him like openly gay or obviously gay or I don't know. He is gay. Yes. Right. Interesting thing about the about the sequel is they wanted to do it right, but you can't do it right if Will Smith doesn't come back. Yeah. No. So no. and didn't Michael B. Wasn't Michael B. Jordan? Uh, well, the uh, Liam Hemsworth was in it. Uh, the lesser Hemsworth. Oh wow, that's like two levels down, isn't it? Hey, don't. It's just one he's level. Fine. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. The the other guy in the lab is I guess Dr. Oaken's assistant and perhaps they have, have also been in a possibly gay relationship this whole time, but it never made it into the first movie. But like he's still there and I've never seen that guy in anything else. And so when he popped up in the next one as still being there at the hospital next to Dr. Oaken, I was like, Oh my God, they actually got that guy back to do the thing. That's so nice. I was like, that was one of the moments in the sequel where I was like, oh, that kind of warms my heart. It's like they brought half the people back that they needed to for the sequel and then just said, fuck it, let's shoot it anyways. Michael B. Jordan was not in it, folks. I've never seen this movie. Oh. I had heard. My understanding of it was that it was about Will Smith's character's son. And so I was like, oh, I bet Michael B. Jordan is in there. Yeah, well, the, no, it's the kid from this is now grown up. Which kid? What, it's the same actor? 
No, it's okay. not the same actor, but it's the character. It's uh, Vivica A. Fox's son. We're probably going to have to put in the effort to name this actor here in a second. Jesse Usher. I do recognize him. What have I seen this guy in? Oh, The Boys. Right. Oh, mm. he plays. Yeah, he's a bad guy in The Boys. He plays uh, A-Train. Have you guys seen The Boys? I have not watched The Boys. I have not watched that. The Boys is good. You two nerds would definitely appreciate that. He plays like the Flash sort of superhero the version. Flash bad guy? But he's on the bad side of the superheroes where it's like. He's called the Streaker. That would be like the bad version of the Flash would be the Streaker. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie. I'm glad you appreciate it. I did. I my did. Oh my god! Fucking sex offender joke. I guess. I am. I am so. Like, there's been so many times in work meetings where someone has said something that's like mildly inappropriate, and they didn't realize it. And I'm like, don't react. Don't react. Most most editing requires surgical precision. Most of like the few jo- Liam jokes that don't work, or, like just requires an axe. I'm like, yeah, oh, this just, whole section is gone. Cut, just <laughs> pretend he never said that. All right, we ready for the breakdown? What do you think? Well, before we do the breakdown, not Liam's not. I'm not done yet. Hold on, everyone. Liam has shit to say. <laughs> Stop the presses. <laughs> he always does. What is it, Liam? Let's hear it. Well, we haven't talked about the aliens at all. Like, what do you guys... We did a little well, bit. Well, not really, but... No, you're right. Actually, good job, Liam. That's a good save, too. Man, I'm Thank sorry. Thank you. See? There's a lot... There's layers to this movie. There... What do we think... I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on the aliens. Like, what did you think about them when he came out of the the spaceship versus when you find out that he's really, like, in another being? Like, he's wearing that guy like an Egger suit? Like, what do you... They keep calling them biomechanical suits. I don't know what the the hard science is behind behind that in in this, but there's there's no hard science. I know. So let's give a shout out to Patrick Tatopoulos, who sounds very Greek, but then when you hear him talk, has a French accent because he was born in Paris. So that all makes sense. He was the production designer on this, and he's in several of the interviews that they did on behind the scenes stuff. And it was interesting. The concept started essentially, they wanted to do something organic and different looking that hadn't been done before, but also, they were leaning towards, but we want to give people a version of the gray, you know, the famous sort of big-headed, small alien that's physically frail but mentally really capable and uses, you know, mental powers, etc. That's been so famous throughout, you know, abduction stories and fiction, etc. And so, I don't know, yeah, how they came to this decision, but they decided that there was going to be like a physically strong, dumb alien essentially on this planet and that they had found i don't know how they found a way to split them open and go inside of them because the biomechanical suit makes way more sense when it comes to the practicality of that what they wanted to deliver was a surprise where you had this alien that's like got tentacles and kind of crazy looking you're like oh that's weird and it's scary and then when they do the dissection scene they find out there's a gray inside of it which is kind of delivering what people expected an alien to look like uh, in in their own original way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, weird concept that somehow works. I kind of fucking love it, though. Like, it's really cool. Yeah, I I think it's good that they didn't really explain it too much because I think just kind of having a once-over, oh, yeah, biomechanical suit, 
makes sense and you could buy that. Finding a way to ride another alien species from the inside doesn't really make sense. Makes perfect fucking sense to me. Actually, like that makes more sense to me because you think about like parasitic wasps that exist on this planet. Right. Where it's like, hey, I'm going to stab you in the brain with my ass and then you're just going to have my babies, (laughs) but they're going to eat you from the inside out. Like the shit's weird. It is weird, but the fact that the alien is split down the middle and has that line, and when you open it up, the dude is sitting there as if he was in a mech bot, doesn't make sense biologically for, like, a parasitic type of thing. I mean, I'm not a parasitologist. I mean, me neither. And they would use this concept again in Men in Black. Right. There's a little alien and a person in Men in Black. Right, but that is more of the biomechanical suit type concept right. as opposed it's a, to- It's a development. Yeah, he's, he's riding an android in that. He's got his own flesh Gundam. All right, I'm, I'm not going to shit on Liam. I will let him live in this fantasy where somehow the gray can insert himself into another alien and walk around with it. That's fine. <laughs> Dude, I'm just saying, get inside you and start steering. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Uh, which is kind of how the puppeteering worked in this, because once again, they did most of this with practical effects and rod puppets. I don't think any of the alien stuff, except probably when they're on the ship and you see like thousands of them, that's CGI. But for the actual hero model and the up close stuff, there was mostly an, a performer manning the arms, but the way they were, his arms, his fingers would only reach to basically the bottom of the hands of the alien suit. And so he would have no capability to move the fingers around. So it's a combination of animatronics. And so it's like alien Bunraku. <laughs> so people with controllers and servos were moving the fingers around and all that while a puppeteer had his actual arms in the arms and was moving those around. So there's scenes where you just see the arms up close and that is just a performer wearing the arms. And then you see other scenes where it's a gigantic rod puppet, which for anyone who hasn't seen one before or isn't aware of what that is, and you can combine it with animatronics, but essentially the big joint movements have metal rods coming out of like picture the back of the elbows and the back of the ankles and all that. And then there's a team of like six or eight people each working a rod or each working two rods, moving the alien around in this choreographed performance. And then later on you use CGI um, to remove the rods. And that's what a rod puppet is. Other examples of it are like the alien in alien three, the deacon at the end of Prometheus, when you see that sort of alien creature come out and his mouth extends, and that's the end shot of the film, that was also a rod puppet. And even even like uh, more complicated Sesame Street mm-hmm. or uh, Henson Productions, they use a lot of rod puppets for something that can't be manned just by the sure, puppeteer. Yeah. I mean, Kermit's a rod puppet, technically. Right. Yeah, puppeteering, especially that type of choreographed performance where you have to be- In sync. You know- a such a well-oiled machine um, to be able to do that kind of stuff. It's going to be May. <laughs> what did you say? I said, it's going to be May. <laughs> she said it was in sync. <sighs> All right. So it's time for the breakdown where we discuss uh, what the intent was of the film. <laughs> See, God what, damn it. Where we discussed what the, uh, yeah. What are they trying to the say? Thing, Is that what we the stuff? Oh, we got some questions. God. Who's got answers? It's time for the breakdown. So here's where we talk about 
our final thoughts on the movie. <laughs> that's what I'm going with this time around because fuck. That'll do. That'll do. That, that'll do, pig. That'll do. So I'm going to give mine first. And I'm going to say, I think this is a classic of American cinema in wow. some ways. <laughs> 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 but and and that says both good and bad things about America and cinema because like I said before this really did influence a lot of blockbusters and so like the Marvel movies the DC stuff like all of the stuff that we see now I mean and Emmerich is still working today like he made White House down cuz he's destroyed the White House twice once from the outside once from the inside the Emmerich is coming from inside the house <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the scariest Emmerich it's a classic of American cinema because it really captures a lot of, like, the big stupid fun that American movies are really known for in some in some ways. And it rides that line, like I said, it rides that line of being almost too much, but not quite with its cheesiness, its jokes, its bad dialogue. Like, all of that is just the right amount and it does it so well and set up its own, almost its own genre of action film where you're spending just tons, buckets, buckets of money, and you're doing all of the things that a regular action film does. I mean, I think what Emmerich was really going for with this is to make that kind of fun, enjoyable film. He said that he got the idea from this while he was on um, tour doing press for Stargate. And him and the, the guy who he ended up writing it with, like, they were talking and they came up with this idea together and they wrote it and boom, and now we have it. And it feels like that. Like Emmerich wanted to make something fun that would really capture audiences' attention and be as big as possible. And so for me, it totally works. And I both love this movie and think it's the dumbest fucking movie because it's it is both of those things like it's very lovable because like i was a kid in the 90s i was 11 when this came out and then armageddon was the other really big Ooh. and volcano oh man volcano that was another one that really followed fucking twister yep that was uh, that actually came out the same year this yes did. it did and this beat it box office wise by a mile but I just really love those kinds of movies. And this was the first big example I'd seen of it as a kid. Like, I'd seen other big budget films, but this was the first of its kind for me. And so I have a, a cherished place in my heart for it, even though I fully admit it is dumb as hell, but it's so fun to watch. And Will Smith is just on fire. He doesn't hit the mark nearly as often now. Like, I, I'm not as big a fan of his later career, but with this, he is perfect as like the action hero guy and it was so fun to watch him because especially because i watched the fresh prince when i was a kid and to see him grow so it's it's big stupid fun and i think it is really a time capsule especially of the 90s from the fucking rem it's the end of the world song mm -hmm. to the fact that there is a goddamn fruitopia machine oh right there <laughs> There is a Fruitopia machine in, like, the, the SETI headquarters or whatever. And I was like, oh, my God. 
only people who are like alive and in this specific area know what the hell that is even in reference to, but it was the biggest thing ever at the time. Oh man, Fruitopia was so fucking good. Right. It captured a zeitgeist almost of that and was, but was so early in the game that you didn't really realize it. This is a documentary. (laughs) 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 And we can look back now and it's like, oh, I can really see how this captured all of the essence of what the 90s and Hollywood in the 90s ended up becoming. And it's still really fun to watch. (laughs) Yeah, I really think big stupid fun sums it up so well katie that's really a a classic line and i don't know if emmerich yeah it's hard to know i guess i'd have to see some more interviews to know whether he knew that's what he was doing or whether he just walked this line of taking things seriously certainly with his craft i mean the technical work is great and you can tell he really cares i think it was goldblum or maybe it was will smith talking about how obvious it is how Emmerich really loved what he was doing and cared about it in the way he knew the whole film in his head, you know, knew what the storyboards needed to show, knew how to coach the actors. There's a scene where he's kind of showing Jeff Goldblum how he wants him to walk away from a conversation and kind of how he wanted to gesture and stuff. It's very obvious that he's really involved in a good way. And I think I would suspect that he is like Villeneuve, again, not in the same caliber of film that he's making, but in the way that he hires the right artists and then trusts them with their craft. I can see him kind of being that type of director where he got the right people to do the visual effects and they understood what they were doing and what result he wanted and how to go about, again, blending special effects, CGI, and practical effects and pyrotechnics in just the perfect way to really nail those set pieces, those explosions, the dogfights. Again, I think it's in some ways just as impressive as Jurassic Park, in at least in the way that it's aged. Um, it really has aged really well. So I think if they were going for big, stupid fun, and they were trying to make almost a billion dollars back in the late 90s, then they definitely nailed that one. I think, honestly, I really liked it this time around, even though I watched on accident the extended edition that was really unnecessary. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to, next time I would just watch the theatrical. Yeah, I do really like this movie for as dumb as it is. And I can see the appeal. And I think my only hit on it is the score. I honestly, it could use a better and different score. But other than that, I really like this film. It's a blast. It is. It is. I still have so much to say, but I have to keep it short for you guys because I love you. Um, someday you'll understand, Liam. Someday. You can hand their editing reins over to me and fucking nothing's getting cut out like ever. Exactly. All the pauses and all of my... Uh, yeah, you're like going to be like, that Dan, shit. I don't know why you keep bitching. I did this edit in like an hour. It was easy. Yeah, easy peasy. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, I really like this movie. It works for me. I don't know. I don't know what else I can say. Uh, I I think... What you're supposed to say is what you think Emmerich right. was going for and whether he succeeded. That's what you're supposed to say. And then whether you like. it. So, I mean, this movie <laughs> was... Yeah, it, it absolutely did. I think he 100% succeeded in what he was going for if the... 
idea was to, like you said, make money, have a good time. His craft, like the, the shot that always stuck out to me was when the, the ships are coming in and the shadow is getting cast. Like that's cool and all, but when it comes over America's boner, the Washington monument, (laughs) that shot is where that whole thing really comes together for me. Cause it's like casting over like everything else, but then it's slowly like rising up the, the shaft there of the obelisk as everything else is already like doused in shadow like that. That's a great shot. And you have to know what you're doing to even like, think, you know what? We should make this shot do that thing. So yeah, I mean, with his storyboarding, I'm sure that was real in depth and that he stuck to it. He knew what he wanted and he got it. I think this movie is actually elevated beyond big, stupid fun. Oh, wow. By remember it's not I an know, insult. It, no, I it's know a it's comment not. comment on what it's trying to do. I know it's not, but I think it's elevated beyond even what its intentions were by the performances and the chemistry that the cast had with one another. I would have watched, okay, not Bill Pullman. Oh. Although I have to say, to this day, because like I'm still in that theater where I first saw it every time I watch this movie, I still get chills during the speech. Ah, the speech. During the Independence Day speech. I still get chills during it. It's stupid, and I don't like that I get chills during it, but it taps into my lizard brain, and it's like, hey, remember how this felt the first time we saw it? It still feels like that now, and I'm like, okay. It works. It works so well. They wrote that speech and added it to the film or or decided to film it to convince whoever owned the rights to the title Independence Day that they needed to call it Independence Day or otherwise they weren't going to let them use it. And that speech sold whoever owned the rights to allow them to title the movie Independence Day. So that speech not only brought down the alien destroyers and eventually the mothership, but it also cemented this film into movie history by giving it its title. Absolutely. But I challenge you to watch this movie and not want to watch a buddy road comedy with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum in it. Oh yeah. Perfection. I would fucking love, I would like sign me up. Like I'm there. I would watch that every day. Personally, I think cop, not a cop would be the best with either Goldblum as the, the detective who's, who's just too tired. He's, he's had enough of this shit. Like remake grumpy old men with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) I don't think they're quite Walter Matthau, John Lemon age, but I'd still watch it. Yeah, you'd watch it. It'd be great. They could do The Odd Couple now. I would watch the hell out of that. Oh, my God. I watched that sitcom when I was a kid. And the movie. I didn't watch the sitcom, but I had to study the play in college, and I I liked the movie. The movie is great. Walter Matthau is perfection. He is. He is. And John Lemon. Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon is always amazing. He's John to his friends. Mm, I'm not his friend, so Jeff. (laughs) And Jeff Goldblum's dad. Oh, that is... Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch is fantastic He was on Taxi. Yes. And I also watched that growing up. Yeah. Because I'm an old lady. They had a great banter back and forth, like really believable as a father and son. I would watch like a, a, one of those touching, like road trip, end of life comedies between those two. Like everything about like... The characters in this work so well together that I think that they probably made the dialogue better 
Yeah, definitely. Than it originally looked on. On the page. That's the one thing. More so than the score, because I really don't give a shit about the score in this movie. And maybe if it had a better one, I would give a shit about it, but it doesn't, so I don't. The only part that doesn't work for me is Jeff Goldblum wrecking the planet when he's drunk by throwing a wastebasket around. <laughs> Wait, That is what? a bit over the top. It's a bit over the top. The scene where Goldblum comes out and he's just throwing shit around while he's drinking a bottle of, what is it, uh, Johnny Walker, I think. Right. And and he, I don't buy him being drunk. And yeah. also that dialogue that he has during that little temper tantrum is, it's it's not salvageable. It's like sponsored by the reduce, reuse, recycle campaign from the 90s. It's like at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, definitely. Right? It feels, and that's also another very 90s thing. After he collapses on the floor and they have that nice little heart to heart, then I like it again. But like that one little section, I'm just like. And then he sobers up immediately. Yeah. And we've talked about drunk scenes on this show before, and we could definitely tally that one up as a scene where the actor does not successfully <laughs> a, deliver a drunk dude and now i'm completely sober and i have full uh, execution of my faculties everything's fine yeah that's right no nope. but no like the the entire time that they're in the spaceship together like i never knew i wanted jeff goldblum and will smith to be on screen together so bad in my life that entire time that they're in there i i, I can't even tell you what a great movie that is that i'm watching while i'm watching that part so, yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree with everything that you guys have said, even more so. <laughs> even more. It's like Uber agreeing. It's like a, it's 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 the yes and of agreement. You can't get any better than that. We've we've found Liam's Terminator, except that the budget and the effects are better. Much. So my Terminator is better than your Terminator. I think we just. <sighs> yeah. Well, it's... we'll we'll pick that one back up some other because day. my Terminator, as we've discussed, is the Dark That's Crystal. True objectively better than terminator you can go ahead i'm just cutting all this out anyways i have full (laughs) full editorial control (laughs) do you really want to give all this up dan (laughs) this is gold don't cut it all right well by the time you patrons you are few first patrons here the few the proud are listening to this this will be our fifth entry and uh, we gave paul salmon's one out for free just as a favor to him, I wanted to make sure that everyone got to hear uh, the Starship Troopers episode, but the other four are here for you. And we want to thank you guys for being our first patrons and for contributing to the show and to help us grow. And we are going to continue to knock out certainly some big, stupid fun, as well as uh, some comedies and other war adjacent stuff. And these will be coming out once a month on top of our regular uh, Danger Close episodes. So, Thank you, Katie and Liam, for joining me on this fun romp. And thanks again to all our patrons and all our listeners. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, y'all. 